This is where we meet, sharing conversations from New Mexico and beyond. I'm Alice Morillon, and this show is supported by the Northern Rio Grande National Heritage Area. Taos Center for the Arts would like to recognize that it operates on the homelands of the Red Willow people of Taos Pueblo. We'd like to honor the ongoing dedication and importance of Native and Indigenous cultures within our community and within the land we live, learn, and exist on. Our guest today is Lara Manzanares. Manzanares is a bilingual musician, weaver, deeply grounded in northern New Mexico. In this conversation, she reflects on community, art, and the land of the rounded corners as she comes to call New Mexico. Uh, Laura, thanks for being here. Um, you're a singer-songwriter. You're grounded in northern New Mexico, where you grew up. Uh, I think you grew up specifically in Terra Maria. And then you mm -hmm. left New Mexico and uh, you went to study in Wisconsin and then later in California. You studied art and visual communications. Um, but your art life seems to always have been pretty busy. Uh, reading up about you, I learned that your weavings have been part of a national folk exhibition, or a few of those. And in 2000, you were part of the Smithsonian Folk, sorry, folk Life Festival, where you participated as a hand weaver in the exhibit um, A Rio, a celebration of the cultures along the Rio Grande. Um, your, music has, your music has also been noticed and awarded. Uh, I think you've received a few New Mexican Music Awards. So I'm really excited to talk about your art. I reached out to you because I knew about your music and I'm realizing that your work is actually um, multifaceted on your website. You know, there's that section about music, but you also have a section about your weaving and a section about your photographs. And in many ways, it seems that uh, your work is grounded in New Mexico and specifically in um, the place where you grew up. And that's a sheep ranch in Tierra Maria. And um, yet uh, your work goes beyond that land-based um, approach and uh, you've developed other avenues. And so I wonder if today uh, we can kind of unroll that thread, go back to your roots in the land in New Mexico, but also uh, look into where it's led you uh, to be right now. So I wonder if for a starter in this conversation, um, you would like to add any elements to that brief bio that I gave of you, and specifically in regards to how you became um, this creative person that you are now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I don't think I have anything to add that wouldn't take us off into a, a rabbit hole. You know, um, I'm pretty all over the place as far as I am a creative person and I just create, whether it's musically, uh, visually, or other. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, I do lots of different things, but they're they're all uh, creativity based. I'm I'm a creative, so so I think you you captured a lot of it there in your description. All right. Well, thank you. Um, then I wonder. I was recaptured really by that uh, weaving aspect of your work that I really did not know about when I reached out to you. And I, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that. And um, specifically, the fact that you learned um, how to weave as a child. And I wonder uh, what that was like for, for a kid to to practice that art, which seems to me to be a pretty slow practice. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious about that childhood part. And then now, do you still weave? And if so, how does that relate to the world we live in, which is so quick-paced, you know, and it seems like a different approach? Right. Um, well, I 
started weaving when I was about eight years old. Uh, my family was one of a, a few families who got together in the 80s um, and started a organization called Ganados del Valle, uh, which uh, many folks who are have been in ta the Taos area for a long time may be familiar with. Uh, you know, we're just over the mountain. And um, part of the Ganados del Valle's uh, uh, mission, or I guess its whole mission, was e economic, sustainable economic development. Um, it, that's aim was to use the resources that we had and the people that we that we have in the area, rather than um, rather than uh, you know setting up a ski area and giving jobs to folks by like having them clean the rooms and the resorts and stuff like that. Um, wanted to be something that was more homegrown and provided a sense of agency for for the local folks using traditional um, knowledge. So I my my parents were were uh, very involved in in that movement, and uh, they started um, my parents along with uh, several other people started a, a business called Tierra Wools, which many Tausenos um, are probably familiar with. Uh, because of Tierra Wolf's connection to a very um, well-known Taos personality and figure named Rachel Brown. Um, she was a, a weaver and a, just a, a huge, huge presence in the weaving community. And she had a, a, a business called Weaving Southwest for many, many years. And um, uh, currently in Taos, I think there's a... a business that's just opening called Taos Wools that's sort of continuing her legacy in in some regard. Um anyway, back to back to my <laughs> childhood. So I, I sort of was born into this atmosphere of uh, community activism and uh, weaving and uh, handcraft and and reviving cultural practices. Um uh Rachel Brown used to come Tierra Wools, and she she was very instrumental in providing weaving instruction to lots of folks who may have had weaving in their in their ancestry, or maybe knew how to weave, but the art had been um, lost or or forgotten, you know, as time had had gone on. So there were varying levels of skill already existing, and Rachel came and um, really created a whole curriculum and, and program um, to get everyone's sort of on the same page and and uh similar skill level i was too young to to i don't let's see i don't think i was born yet at that <laughs> point i was um born the year that tierra wools officially store the storefront opened um so yeah i was too little to take those classes at that time so i so i missed the you know official weaving classes, but I was around, I was crawling around under the looms, you know, running around the neighborhood in Los Ojos, uh, where the weaving shop was, um, running around the neighborhood with everybody else's kids that were weaving, all the weavers' kids. We had this little gang of kids that would just, you know, go play hide and seek or whatever around town. Um, and when I was about eight years old, uh, my mom decided that i shouldn't just be hanging around twiddling my thumbs and she said it's time for you to time for you to learn how to weave and so it wasn't something that 
it wasn't something that I said, oh, I would always, I'd like to do that. It was just sort of like, you're doing this. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and I started to weave at that point, uh, learning in a very apprentice, apprentice style manner, surrounded by all the weavers at the shop. And so, so I wove just by, by, or I learned to weave just by doing it and having all these people around, mostly women, there were a couple of male weavers, but there were mostly women. Um, I'd run into something that I didn't know and I'd just go tug on somebody's sleeve and look at them and they'd say, okay, I'll be right there. And they'd come and kind of help me fix it or whatever. Um, so there wasn't really much formal instruction. There was just a lot of learning from those around me. And my siblings also um, learned at different points, but I, I don't know. I was the one that really got more into it, I guess. So like my, my two sisters, they learned how to weave, but they didn't continue with it. I'm the one that sort of continued with it. I, and And yeah, it's kind of a slow process, I guess, but it's very satisfying and very tactile. You know, I, I'm, as a kid, I was always into sports and moving my body um, is a, is continues to be a really big part of um, my, my mental health, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, uh, just moving my body in space is, is very, is very um, empowering. I think for me. And so weaving on a Rio Grande style walking loom where you're standing up and, and weaving and with, you're using your whole body, you're shifting back and forth on the treadles um, uh, as you stand. And then you're using both hands to pass the shuttle through and, you know, tug on the yarn and beat the yarn down, which is very satisfying. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a slow process though. Yeah. It's kind of like a, I tell students that I, I also teach weaving now, and I sometimes tell students it's kind of like you're a human inkjet printer. Um, you're just you're making this design, but you're going line by line and building it up. So, um, yeah, I, I think I I found when I was a kid, even I think I've I found a nice sort of um, I think they call it flow. You know, when you sort of get in the creating zone and you have a sense of flow, mm -hmm. something like weaving, which is very repetitive, is very conducive to to finding that. And I'm using my body and doing this motion and my brain and spirit could sort of be free in a way that in a way that I I don't know. I guess I may have found that same kind of thing in in sports, you know, basketball, something like that. So, yeah, I just sort of took to it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, traditions. I don't. I think that's what you mentioned. I wonder if you could tell us just a little more about that and uh, what that looked like at the time and where it's at today. Well, um, you know, I was pretty little when that was happening. So I just sort of assumed that that's how the world was, I guess. Uh, you know, as I've grown and learned a little bit more about what has happened throughout the years at the business, uh, you know, as an adult, I said, oh, okay, it, it was a, it was a little messy. <laughs> Anytime you try and start something that's like a sort of, I don't, I'm not sure if Tierra Wolves was ever officially a co-op Uh, they were using a cooperative model for a while. And then uh, when I was in 
middle school, I think, when I was working there in the summers weaving. Um, at that time, it was a, a member-owned, uh, see, a worker-owned business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think in the in the beginning, it was very exciting. I'm just sort of going off of what I've heard my my mom say uh, that it was really exciting in in the beginning because there was just you know people were getting together and doing something that was that was self started. It was you know a very they felt very empowered and excited, and they were everyone was learning new things and and um and as as time went on. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's just really difficult. My impression is that it's just really difficult to run a business and have it sort of be sort of a cooperative, but also have some hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, it can get a little, a little weird, I think. Um, and so, um, yeah. It, General Wolves has gone through lots of changes over the years, and at the at the moment right now, it's it's not a cooperative at all anymore. It still exists, but over time, it's like the hmm, the big bursts of energy that was there in the beginning. You know, you can only maintain that for so long, um, and so lots of different people have come through Tierra Wolves and worked there and um, many people no matter what the status of what type of business it is but so many people um, including like students now um, because the Rio Grande Weaving School uh, was started it was added to the business I'm not sure what year it was some it was one of the years that I was away at college or away somewhere else in the U.S. Um, But so many people I think find Tierra Wolves to be like sort of a healing type of place. Um, And just being able to go into the place and be surrounded by all of these, even if there's no one else weaving, there's just all of these looms, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which are really, really cool. And just every loom has its own personality. And there's just this, this feeling, I think, that that people are making things together and um yeah there's there's really there's really nothing like it i've i've sort of struggled to find a community like that outside of Tierra Wolves um mm-hmm. yeah just having so many weavers in one place is 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 really special i hear um, that yeah i i don't know if i can imagine it uh because i i haven't been around weavers but i can imagine i mean mm-hmm. i hear it's special mm-hmm. um and in that sense that you know notion of community in in making um art uh mm-hmm. i kind of want to steer steer our conversation um back towards um your musical endeavor and the music part of your creative life and um i wonder if you could tell us um how you became a musician, and if there was um, any of that community element that was uh, part of that uh, musical endeavor. Okay, yeah. Well, um, I 
I've been a musical person my entire life. Uh, as far as becoming a musician in the public-facing sense, um, that didn't happen until high school. Um, when I started singing at the Santa Fe Farmer's Market, um, hmm, which was definitely a community. It's a community all its own, the Farmer's Market. Um <laughs> I let's backtrack a little bit. I learned, started taking piano lessons when I was just on the cusp of five years old, so four, four years old. And for most of my childhood, music was a family thing. Not in that, like my nuclear family, we we didn't like sing together or anything like that. My mom and dad were super busy you know, trying to get this weaving shop started, running the sheep ranch and, and you know, taking care of the, us four kids. I have three siblings. And so, um, yeah, everyone was pretty, pretty busy all the time. But my, my grandma on my mom's side, my grandma Vera Boyd, she decided that we had to have music lessons. And in Tierra Maria, that's, that's a big ask. Um, there was no music in in the schools, uh, you know, other than like singing songs in kindergarten and that kind of thing. But there there was no band. There was no. I mean, I I I hear about the the mariachi group and at the in Taos, you know, mm -hmm. in high school, and I'm just like, oh my, oh my god, that would have been amazing. It would have been so amazing. But we didn't have. We didn't have anything. I think in middle school, maybe there was like once or twice where somebody came in and like did did like some kind of a music class like once or twice. But that that was that was it. There was nothing in the schools um, as far as as music went. So my grandma took it upon herself to, you know, she paid for us all to have piano lessons with a, a local um, a person who who would give piano lessons to kids. And then uh, in middle school, I stopped playing the piano, and um, then I started to get, a couple years later, started to get into the guitar. And my grandma would, or my parents, I guess, but my grandma was the, the motor. She was the one behind it all. She would uh, take myself and my brother, she would take me and my brother to Bloomfield, New Mexico, which is like an hour and a half drive from our home uh, for for music lessons with this guy named J.K. Brown, uh, and he was sort of a, a cowboy cowboy musician. He would do bluegrass and 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 cowboy music and stuff, and it was very much just like feel the music and look at what I do and then do it. Um, it also wasn't music theory. It, it was very informal, um, but very rewarding because my grandma would also, she played the violin and so she would join in the lessons and I learned how to hold chords while my grandma played these old old songs like Snow Deer or Rubber Dolly or um, sort of some old traditional tunes. So in that regard, I did have music and in my family and and my grandma's husband, my grandpa Richard Boyd, 
he really loved uh, some of the older Mexican music. And so I'd have my music lesson with Mr. Brown and, and Grandma Vera. Then we'd go to to their house and Grandma would start fixing supper and Grandpa would start get out his guitar and kind of start plunking out some notes. By you know, by the time he was old, he he didn't have a ton of dexterity, but he would kind of just play around on the guitar and I'd go in the room and he would we would sing El Hijo Desobediente or Tu Solo Tu or all these songs that he that he heard and fell in love with, and his he spent a couple of years um, living in Mexico in the, I guess it was the fifties, and um, so yeah, that was a big part of the music, my beginnings, my roots, and then in high school I started playing at the farmers markets because every week my parents and family would go to the farmers market to sell lamb meat, mm. and. Uh, that was, a, as a kid, that was pretty much drudgery for me. <laughs> Getting up really early and going to the farmer's market to, to sell meat. It's it's actually, it's at this point in my life, it's it's fine. It's like you get to talk to people and, and stuff. But as a kid, it was kind of like, oh. And, uh, but I noticed that some other folks or and my dad also noticed that some other folks were playing music and and putting their guitar case out and people were giving them money and I didn't know at the time that that's called busking mm -hmm. but there were musicians busking and my dad said uh he said Lara you should do that too and I was you know I was very self-conscious I was like no <laughs> no way uh but my dad kept at me and and we'd get in the truck to go to the market in the morning sometimes all packed up and he'd say oh did you bring your guitar and i'd say oh i forgot it oh it won't fit anymore the truck's all packed up oh well <laughs> and then one day um he was packing and he he just grabbed my guitar and put it in the truck and and i thought oh no and we came to the los ranchos market actually that day either Los Ranchos or Corrales, I don't remember, somewhere in Albuquerque. And he, and we got here and unloaded and set up, and then he got out my guitar and he made a little place for me there, and he said, play. You know, it was just a command. like <laughs> Kind of like when my mom said, all right, you're going to weave now. You know, it was, he just said, all right, you're going to play. Mm -hmm. And I, I was very quite mortified, but... I also was curious, I guess. So I did pick up my guitar and I had a little music stand with the the lyrics to mostly Spanish language, you know, Mexican songs that I'd been playing with my with my grandpa and I just kind of kept my eyes glued to the lyrics and sang without looking up because I was so frightened and I I sang maybe for half an hour or something and then I sort of like looked up into the world and there were a bunch of dollar bills in my guitar case and I was like oh oh maybe I am okay you know <laughs> it was very validating uh -huh. and uh and and after that that day I made fifty dollars and I you know I thought oh I think I want to keep doing this so that was sort of the beginning of me being a a, a performer and playing for money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
You're welcome. Uh, yeah. One quick Go note of how weaving actually fed into my music, I think, to my musical performance. When I was a kid and I was just starting to learn weaving, there's a kind of a tiny kid-sized loom at Tierra Wools, and that was that's the loom that any kid that's learning to weave is on. And that loom was in the showroom, um, out in the where the weavings were being sold versus back in the workshop. It was in sort of in a big storefront window. So as a kid, when I was learning to weave and weaving for a long time, you know, tourists or people who were visiting the shop would come and see me. And I think without realizing it, I sort of learned how to perform in a way, mm -hmm. in a very quiet way. I wasn't singing, but I, there's a sort of, uh, anyone who I think who's been on a stage or, or, or performs, you knows there's just sort of a different energy where you, 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 even if it's not a stage, if in my case, it was the, it was the loom. I was working on the loom and I was in this flow state and people were watching me and, and asking questions sometimes. And, and so I think that that, Doing that and being in that situation as a kid, I think really helped me immensely when it came time to share more of myself and my voice in that situation. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. That's that's super interesting. Um, I I want to go back to that uh, mention of of Mexican music and and the the place. Um, it had when you were learning music and first um, playing music for people. Um, mm -hmm. I saw you perform last year at the, the Congreso de las Acequias. And mm -hmm. I think if I recall correctly, you played uh, Nella Bado and then you played one of your original songs. And um, I found those two songs to be both um, beautiful, but so very different. And I, I wonder if in any way... Uh, that Mexican music that was um, part of you um, learning about music and playing that music, if it informs and how it informs the music that you write today? Sure. Um, it definitely does inform it. And I, I say Mexican sort of as a catch-all, but it's it's Mexican and New Mexican because if you spoke to Lone Pinon last, last, uh, in another interview, which you mentioned you this may have come up i'm not sure but um yeah th there's an interesting difference between some of the old very particular new mexican stuff like for example the alabado that i sang and then there's the mexican music i mean this area used to be part of mexico so it's you know it's all it's all intertwined <laughs> but when i say mexican it's it's i'm usually referring to some music that sort of comes up from the south mm -hmm. um and so there's 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 very traditional new mexican and then there's uh mexican that comes up from the south performed by folks from what is now mexico and then there's sort of a hybrid where songs that are maybe originated south of what is now the border with this all used to be Mexico, but that originated down there have traveled up north to New Mexico and, and northern New Mexico. And then northern New Mexico artists sing those songs, but in the New Mexican style. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of complexity within that. 
And I think that that complexity definitely has influenced my music and my songwriting. Um, I can't, I can't really tell you how <laughs> as the artist myself, I just do the thing, you know, um, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how, uh, perhaps some of the rhythms and phrasings, uh, make their way in probably. And, and when I compose my own music, it's often in Spanish. Sometimes it's in English and sometimes it's both, you know, a mixture of both. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure there's, there's certain, there are certain, how would you, what would you call them? Characteristics of, of those, uh, songs that, that make it into, that are part of my psyche and that come out in my music or that maybe when I'm writing or, or creating something, I, I do it just because that's how it feels like it should be in my body. And then I've heard from some other folks uh, about my original music that they're like, oh, it, it doesn't, it sounds a little different from things I've heard before. And like, you know, they want to know why. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just me. I'm just being me, you know, and I'm a Northern New Mexican, which, uh, you know, it's, 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 mixture of a bunch of different cultures there's the indigenous influence of it which is in a lot of our our blood uh but then also around us in the you know we live on indigenous land mm -hmm. and uh are influenced by immensely uh i don't know if influenced is even the word you know we're we're, we're built that's part of the culture is built into northern new mexico that it was here first so there's there's that, um, and that I'm sure has its own its own rhythms of of speech, you know, its own ways of looking at the world, um, and and then you know we we have radio stations out here in New Mexico that you can turn on a radio station and and hear uh, uh you know hear the music of of the of the pueblos or of the Diné peoples or or whatever you know it's 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 for us here it's not something that's um i guess exotic you know like for some folks that maybe are from other places mm -hmm. in the country where it's just not so visible it's just part of who we are so so that that and portion of the culture is is pretty huge as well and i think affects all of us in ways that we don't even realize um uh yeah so and and also the mixture of spanish and english and spanglish um yeah I, i'm sorry i'm not providing any specific like things no, of how it's okay. different yeah it, yeah it's 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 a hard question and i think your answer is super interesting and in some ways listening to you um you know i i kind of want to uh, parallel that with the weaving and how much of a southwestern um tradition it is a native tradition and mm -hmm. and the fact that that's also part of your art you know all those cultures mixing um in you into the art you create makes a lot of sense so thank you for this answer um and i actually have a even bigger question to threat you uh, and and uh, I'm sorry because it is it is big but I'm curious about 
um, your answer. Um, so you, you're uh, very much uh, grounded in northern New Mexico um, in all the ways you've shared with us so far. Um, and I wonder, as um, you have um, gone and lived elsewhere in the U.S., Um, and your work is, um, um, I'm losing, I don't have the English word, uh, is like reaching beyond uh, New Mexico. So your your persona, your person in some ways is reaching beyond this uh, this place, but taking with it this unique culture. And I wonder how you feel about that. Does it feel like a, a, a chance, a responsibility? And, or like, what is your relationship between being an, person from New Mexico who goes out of New Mexico but carries with themselves this rich culture? How does that feel to you? Hmm. Well, I haven't had to deal with that in a while because I haven't traveled in <laughs> <laughs> with the pandemic and everything and some other stuff going on in my life. But um, I think... Uh, I think when I left New Mexico at, to go to college, that was really difficult um, when I was 18. And uh, I, I went to school in Wisconsin at Lawrence University, a small liberal arts college in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, and I, I had a really difficult time adjusting... Because I think I didn't realize until I left New Mexico how different New Mexican culture is mm -hmm. uh, or can be from from the wider, I guess, what you would call American culture. And by American, I mean influenced by media and movies and, and what people think of as American, like apple pie and... Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, America is, is is quite diverse in itself, but but there's, I think I encountered a bit of a, like a sort of a monolithic kind of experience of America when I left, first left when I was 18. Uh, as time went on out in the world, I, I started to realize that it was more nuanced than that. Um, that even in Wisconsin, there's lots of uh, Scandinavian cultural um, characteristics in, in the people in their culture, uh, or lots of folks who had ancestry from Germany, or uh, yeah, it's a Scandinavian other Scandinavian countries, and 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 things that's that made their culture unique in its own way. And I didn't recognize that at first. Um, at first I felt like I was sort of like, uh, ran into a big wall, <laughs> was just like walking along whistling and, you know, and what I knew and of the world. And then I just sort of like was hit by a tidal wave of like America. Um, that's sort of, sort of how it felt. And I, I felt like I was, uh, in a in an american movie in a way which was funny because we grew up seeing the same movies as as the folks that i encountered when i left but but i guess i hadn't really realized until i went there that i had sort of thought like oh yeah that's not real you know uh, it's mm -hmm. just like whatever and then i met people and that were was like oh they do live like how people lived in the movies 
<laughs> and it was just sort of like, what? This this is crazy. You know, I remember leaving New Mexico and going to Appleton and um, like one of the things that I felt was strange was that it seemed like everyone had a new car. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, why does everyone have a new car? And also the, the houses and the buildings were very pointy. That was another thing that it didn't feel safe because like in a, you know, I, I, I don't know if anyone else would have noticed this kind of thing, but this is the kinds of thing that I noticed um, was that the houses, like their roofs were so pointy and the, all the corners were so pointy and, and felt very sharp. Um, so, so that was, that was kind of an interesting thing for me. And then, uh, when I did finally come back to New Mexico, like more permanently, many years later, I remember coming and to this casita where I'm sitting right now and just, you know, feeling very relieved because all the corners were rounded on the threshold and on the windows. And I just thought, oh, it's so good to be back in the land of rounded corners. <laughs> you know, it's just so much more friendly. And I, I, I like to think or hope that that like the land of rounded corners, like, like a sense of um, whatever that means in my personality. Uh, I hope that I would have carried that out into the world. Thank you to Laura Manzanares for sharing her thoughts and perspective on her work. Where We Meet comes from Taos Center for the Arts in Taos, New Mexico, and is supported by the Northern Rio Grande National Heritage Area. Producers include Chelsea Reedy, Alice Morillon, and Anna Forster-Smith. On Where We Meet, we share conversations from New Mexico and beyond. Thanks for listening. Be well.